When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is the perfect story? Does it exist? Is there a tangible formula? Has the perfect story ever been told? And if so, are we simply trying to retell the story over and over? This podcast is called The Midnight Myth, and somewhere between the black of night and the break of dawn, there is a story, and it's perfect. My name is Derek Jones. And my name is Laurel Hostack. Welcome to The Midnight Myth. So as you guys know, we uh, didn't have an episode for two weeks because we were traveling Europe. So we're going to be doing a group of episodes inspired by um, our vacation. And uh, this week, I wanted to kick off this episode with a question. What is the makeup of a great artist? How is a great artist made? What cloth is the great artist cut from? And we are going to be talking about a story that examines that topic head on. We are going to one of my all-time favorite television series, Doctor Who. Yeah, we'll be revisiting Doctor Who today with a case study of a particular episode that gives us a lens on that question of what it means to be a great artist and what it means to be a good person. Uh, And when we talk about how this is inspired by our vacation... I just want to take you guys like on a little bit of a, an imaginative journey. Uh, our vacation, we went to London, Paris, and Rome, which are some of the greatest cities in Europe that are really the seat of many of the most important uh, developments in the history of the Western world. And today's episode is brought to you by an experience that we had in Paris uh, at the Musée d'Orsay, which is a beautiful museum of... Uh, more contemporary artwork than is housed in the Louvre, so pretty much from the 19th century forward. Uh, And it houses a lot of the Impressionists and most notably carries a lot of paintings by the artist Vincent van Gogh. And you're probably familiar with that name. Yeah, you know, or is it Van Gogh? I've heard it both ways. Do do we know officially is it Van Gogh or Van Gogh? Dutch, so... We'll just say Van Gogh for the rest of this episode. Yeah. Even though I've heard more people lately say Van Gogh. Yeah, but I don't care. So He's Van Gogh. We were standing in the Museum d'Orsay and looking at these Van Goghs. And uh, let me tell you, it's rare where I interact with a piece of artwork that I feel incredibly moved. And his paintings really did touch and uh, 
and move me more so than any other paintings I've ever seen live. They're, they're extremely emotional to look at. Um, and a huge, huge part of that is the actual aesthetic and visual impact of the paintings. They are beautiful. The, um, the color that's used in them is striking. It's alive. There's a lot of movement in the paintings and the way that he would use the brush strokes and use the depth of the actual oil paints to create an almost three-dimensional effect. This an effective they're movement. Thick. They're thick and they feel like they're alive and they're almost breathing. There is a really, really unique and singular quality to a Van Gogh. Uh, and to see those up front is really it's breathtaking and it's a little emotionally overwhelming, but there's more to it than just the visual impact of his paintings. And if you're familiar at all with the artist himself, there's another layer of the experience of viewing his paintings that I think is as, as effective as just the visual impact. And that's the understanding of who he was as a person and the intent and the, uh, the emotion that drove the paintings that he made. Uh, because he was an intensely sad and sorrowful person. He was a person who suffered from m multiple uh, mental disorders. He had a lot of mental illness that he was contending with and no resources to get help with them. And he experienced absolutely no success in his life. And so this is another layer that we view his paintings through. Yeah, and that takes us right into the Doctor Who episode. Right. So in season five, we now have the actor playing the Doctors, Matt Smith. He's the 11th version <clears throat> of the Doctor, excuse me. Right. And he is traveling to the exact museum there Laurel and I were in at the start of this season five, episode 10, Vincent and the Doctor, if you get a sense of where this is going. And um, guys, if you haven't seen this particular episode Maybe you're new to Doctor Who. Maybe we inspired you to watch it for the first time. Spoiler warning now. We're going to spoil this episode. Yeah, and a couple things for season five. And um, it is, without a doubt, one of the best episodes. If you are looking still to uh, get into Doctor Who, it's not a bad single episode to pick up. Yeah, it's a really good standalone episode. You don't really need to know much more uh, other than there's a character named the doctor who travels through time with a friend, you know, so you don't need to know much more than that um, because it's a contained start, middle end story within the episode. We watched it. I'm an Amazon prime member, so they're all on Amazon video streaming. Um, I'm sure you can find them other ways too. That's just the way that we've been rewatching them. Right. And uh, so in this episode, the doctor's traveling with Amy pond. That's his companion. And she, she wanted, I forget why they're there, but they're in the museum. I think the doctor wanted to treat her to something nice. The doctor is looking into a particular painting of Van Gogh's in which a painting of a church, which he sees like a monster in it. And he's like, that's not right. Something's amiss. So he ends up deciding to go back in time right before Van Gogh painted this to talk to Van Gogh and figure out what's the deal with this monster. Right. So we see Van Gogh, and the plot is very simple. There is an invisible monster killing people in the village that Van Gogh lives in. Van Gogh, for whatever reason, can see this monster. No one else can, not even the doctor. The doctor, Van Gogh, and Amy team up to defeat the monster. They defeat the monster, and they decide to 
kind of bend the rules of time travel and take Van Gogh and take him to the Museum d'Orsay in our time, the time of now, the present, and just have him see how uh, much his paintings are admired. Yeah. And give him like a moment of satisfaction and joy. In an otherwise really depressed and painful life. And um, this kind of inspires Amy to think, hey, maybe we made a difference in Van Gogh's life and he did more paintings. Come to find out that Van Gogh still kills himself, even though he realizes that he will one day become one of the most famous painters in the world. Uh, he still ends up killing himself at the same time as before the events of this episode. And the episode ends. Very, very simple plot, but there's an insane amount to unpack in this episode. Some of the best stories are the simplest. There's a monster, they need to team up and fight it. We've seen that a thousand times in a thousand different stories. Right. But what makes this one significant is that we get to see the world for a minute through Van Gogh's twisted and pained eyes, and it directly links to the beauty of his paintings. They draw a link between Van Gogh's mental illness, his isolation, his depression, to his ability to be a great painter, which is also gives him the ability to see the things others can't see, which manifests in the obstacle they need to overcome, which is a monster that only Van Gogh can see. Right. And the tragedy of it is you might think in a traditional story, once Van Gogh overcomes that obstacle, he overcomes the fact that he is mentally ill, but he doesn't. And, you know, it begs the question, is this the, the destiny of the great artist, one of the greatest artists? Do you have to be sick in some way to make something that beautiful? And it's an interesting question. It is an interesting question. Uh, you know, when we think about, we think about Vincent uh, and his, his life, he was only 37 years old when he committed suicide. Uh, and like we said, suffered from a variety of mental illnesses uh, and had a, a difficult life. He was impoverished. He was, uh, he was sometimes in mental institutions, in and out of institutions, never sold a paint, sold one painting, I think, to a friend. And in the point in this story, no one has bought one of his paintings at the right. point of the story. Yeah. Um, and never imagined that he could have any amount of success, but he becomes the archetype of the tortured artist, which is something we see time and time again in storytelling. And so it's, it's kind of interesting how, how that has grown as the, the quintessential artist is the tortured or the starving or the tortured and starving artist, uh, that to make something beautiful, you have to have a deep amount of pain. Uh, and, you know, we were recently having an, uh, an interesting conversation about country music, right? And, and how pain is the source of all of that music. And it, it's just striking me how, um, how much beauty and how much art has come from that deep wellspring of pain because there's something universal in it. Uh, all human beings feel anguish, feel pain, and to know that we're not alone in that is a really remarkable thing. And to touch someone else in that, that pain that they feel can be really powerful. And I think that theme of loneliness is something we've talked about before when it comes to the doctor. And I think, uh, we were talking about this before, but 
what an interesting choice and what an obvious choice it seems like to have to have made this episode Vincent and the Doctor because we've seen uh we've seen this show go back in time before and meet with famous um or mythic or um you know important figures of the past like Shakespeare like uh Queen Elizabeth like Churchill uh, major political figures or um, or artists, right? But to introduce the Doctor to Vincent Van Gogh is a really, really brilliant maneuver. Because how many times have we hammered home that the Doctor is alone? That the Doctor is the last one of his kind. He's the only Time Lord left, and he is hurtling through time and space alone, save for the company of someone who he can only travel with for a couple of years before he has to let them go or they have to let him go. Uh, And so to put him face to face with a character who we're all familiar with, a character who's become an archetype, whose archetype is the lonely, is the anguished and the unable, the prisoner of his own loneliness and pain, who is unable to transcend that except through his art. And then you have the doctor who's able to transcend his loneliness because he can escape through time and space travel. Interesting. So does Van Gogh, whether the character in the show, the real artist, does he transcend his pain? He's consumed by it. His art transcends it, right? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. he himself does not. Right. He's continue, he continues to feel imprisoned. Whereas the doctor gets to have moments of connection. He gets to have moments of triumph. Right. He gets to have moments of love too. He's married at one point. Yeah. And it helps that he has social tendencies, which Van Gogh historically did not and does not in this iteration of him as the character. He's not social. He has a difficult time with other people. People don't like him. And people love the doctor usually. Right. He's charming. Uh, and Van Gogh, who has had a tough life and has, you know, in addition to his, uh, his own personal issues, is also always drunk and sometimes belligerent in this, uh, in this version of him. So, yeah, it's an interesting comparison. And then to introduce this monster who, uh, as we've said before, only Van Gogh can see. But what's the other interesting thing about this monster? He's a pack creature. But where's this pack? You know, they've left him behind on this planet and he's alone. Yeah, it's a hunter, pack creature, an interstellar hunter that goes from planet to planet to hunt. It's like sort of like a cross between a parrot and a rhinoceros looking thing. Sure. And it's grotesque and uh, it goes around and it it hunts and kills its victims. Now, in the episode, uh, uh, someone gets killed in the village that Van Gogh is living in. And they instantly blame him because he's the outcast. And it's interesting is that he understands this. He's like, I'm the weirdo in the town. I'm the madman. Of course, they're going to blame me. It's how they're working through their pain. But as we come to find out, it's the monster that's doing it. When we first see Van Gogh fighting off the monster, everyone thinks it's just him crazy, like attacking air. It takes the doctor to be like, oh, no, there's actually something happening here. Right. There's something more. Van Gogh is doing something. Yes, Van Gogh is mentally ill. However, there is a creature. <clears throat> what the doctor comes to find out about the monsters, the monster is blind. So this is, I think, significant. 
because Van Gogh's greatest gift is his eye, his ability to see. The monster has his parallel. His greatest uh, gift is that he is unseen. Nobody can see him except for Van Gogh, but the monster itself cannot see. It's also interesting that in the episode, in the, the final fight between Van Gogh and the monster, he accidentally kills the monster. He doesn't actually want to, to end the monster's life. He's just trying to defend himself. Right. And we find out that the monster is not actually hunting. The monster is blind. It can't see, and it's accidentally killing people. Yeah. It's not even trying to hunt. You know, it's just trying to find its way back home. And there's a moment where the doctor kind of communicates what the monster is saying. We find out the monster's not really a monster at all. Right. Its last it's, words are, it's, I'm afraid, I'm scared. Oh, God. You know. I'm going to cry. And to me, there's the the three of them, the monster, Van Gogh, and the doctor, all share this moment where they're all sort of cut from a very similar cloth. Yeah. And I think the parallel that you just drew between the uh, between Van Gogh and the monster, where one is the all-seeing and one is the unseen, I think the doctor fits into this sort of triad as well because he's the only one who has an, a mind open enough to give this this you know belligerent drunk artist a chance and listen to his pleas. Of course, he's got the benefit of hindsight from the future, but because you have this character who has a broader perspective, you have another version of that sight. That together, there's sort of this... Great point. Yeah. That the doctor's open-mindedness is another form of seeing in this episode. Another way that he can look at the problem and look at Van Gogh differently than anyone else has looked at him before. Right. And, uh, you know, though it doesn't change the destiny or the fate to Van Gogh, it matters. It matters to Van Gogh. And it matters so much that his catharsis of learning that his paintings eventually change the way the world looks at art, it matters so much to the character Van Gogh that you can't help but be on that emotional journey with him. Yeah. You know, and that's the, that's what the key to this episode is. You're going on this journey with Van Gogh and the doctor. You are with them the entire time. And, oh, we're not even forgetting the other major player in this. Amy. Amy. This was one of Amy's It's an eye-opening episode for Amy. Yeah. It's where in season five, I believe, yeah, that's her first season. This was the moment where I started to really care about her character yeah. Because of the empathy that she shows to Van Gogh, the patience, the kindness that she shows. She's got a little bit of fangirl in there too, which is fun. So it adds a would, little levity. So would I. Yeah. yeah. It adds a little levity. Like at one point she like, you know, he hasn't painted one of his famous paintings yet of the sunflowers. So, so she's trying to inspire him to paint it. So she's just like puts sunflowers all over his like corridor of his apartment. You know, and she's like, what do you think of sunflowers? And we find out Van Gogh doesn't even like sunflowers. And he says like, this beautiful thing, though. He says, yeah, I never really cared for sunflowers. And then he starts on this sort of poetic monologue about how they're, you know, always reaching for the sun or, or you know, shying away from it. They're always at this point between life and death, the living and the dead. Yeah. And that's when you see the spark go off and he's like, ah, oh, I identify with this. There this is, is something. beautiful. He, I think he says they're complex. I've never really liked them, but they're complex. Yeah. You know? And so, you know, you have this and Amy, like her sort of drive in this episode is to matter to Van Gogh enough 
to hopefully have Van Gogh want to be alive and want to paint more. Her desire is to see more of his art, see what he could do if he got to live a long and prosperous life. And she says one of the lines that becomes a key um, key repeated line in the, that series, which is time can be rewritten. Uh, and she says that with, with hope as they're walking into the gallery again to see how many more new paintings he's painted since his career must have gone on for another several decades and then is crushed when she finds out the time wasn't rewritten because, of course, it's more complicated than having one good day. Uh, and the doctor says, uh, you know, a beautiful thing about how it's just reminding me of that Stannis, like one good act doesn't wash out the bad, but he's like, the good things in life don't erase the bad things, but the bad things don't erase the good things. And I paraphrase, but it's it's a really lovely thing that that moment of of changing his perspective on something was powerful enough to matter. And it did, history did get rewritten in a very slight way. Because when she sees the sunflower painting, they now put her name in it. Yeah, for Amy. You know, so there is this element that it was rewritten. He dedicates one of his most famous paintings to her because he, because she mattered to him so much, even though they had a brief encounter. You know, you definitely get the sense that Van Gogh was completely enamored. You know, when the doctor first approaches Van Gogh, Van Gogh is just like, you know, F off. You're a doctor. No one can help me. I'm lost. You know, the doctor's just trying to buy him a drink, you know, because he wants to learn, hey, what's up with this monster that you painted in this thing? And it's Amy that charms him. Yeah. And it's Amy that says, you know what? I'm going to buy a bottle of wine and I'll share it with whoever I like. And Van Gogh is just like, okay, well, that sounds great. So at the moments where Van Gogh is, you know, drifting off and uh, getting into despair, it's really Amy that brings him back and kind of grounds him in this episode. And she is there, that counterbalance and that humanity. Yeah. And though she couldn't save his life, you know, she was able to matter. And like that ending's shot with her seeing her name on the sunflowers and the music in the episode, the way it's done, it is just stellar. Like legit. I consider myself a bit of a badass sometimes in life. I fucking cried like a baby rewatching I cry it every time. I, it, it's so emotional. It really, really is. They they did a beautiful job orchestrating that uh, that part, and it's such a gift too. It's such a, you know, obviously we can't go back in time and have Vincent step into the gallery at the Musée d'Orsay and show him what an important influence he was on the art world, but to just give the give the gift of this episode to that artist and say, what if we could, what if we could take him by the hand and show him how much he means to us? Uh, you know, would that mean something to him? I think is such a beautiful gift. Um, and the answer is, yeah, it did mean, it doesn't change his fate, but it did mean something. It did give joy to his very, very broken soul, even if it is just for a day. Right. I do want to try and address this question of, do you have to have you have to be tortured to be a great artist? And I think it's a complex question. Um, and I, I certainly think that, uh, that in order for people to find uh, the true highs of life, they have to experience lows. I think that pain is important in building character in everyone. Uh, and adversity is important. 
for people to grow as human beings. Um, but I think there's a slightly more nuanced approach to art and artistic um, inspiration. And where, where I kind of enter this theory, if you will, is with my, my impression of where Van Gogh actually stands in the, um, in the progression of contemporary art. And I've always seen him as kind of walking the line between impressionism and expressionism. And so if you're unfamiliar with those types of art, impressionism was uh, so the 19th century um, style of art that was pioneered by, of course, Monet, um, and then you know followed by many other artists into this new movement. Impressionist was actually a sort of derogatory term placed on their art by a critic because the work was, rather than being purely realistic and um, representative, it was more about the play of light and color and uh, how, how light and the, um, the experience of viewing something changed over time or with the seasons or with new perspectives. Uh, so if you think about Impressionist art as like, I'm painting these haystacks, but I'm painting them in the morning when the light is hitting them from this way. So I am filtering the image of the haystacks through my impression of what it looks like at this very moment. So it's more about the play of light on the object than the object itself, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Uh, expressionism is more like, uh, you think about abstract expressionism with uh, Jackson Pollock, who's just you know throwing you know, splatters of paint on a canvas. Um, but it's a pretty wide spectrum of art. But think if you just like sliced open the top of my head and saw the inner workings of what was going on in there, and then I like put that on a canvas, um, that's what expressionism would be like. So it's me showing you what's inside my head. And I think Van Gogh kind of walks this line as a post-impressionist where he is not only filtering you know, his view of what, it, what he's seeing and the play of light and the play of color, and the sort of movement of the wind and the stars and the, the, the light of the moon, but he's also projecting some of his own, um, his own feelings, his own emotions on the canvas. So there's this play of, uh, of different kinds of um, perspectives on that canvas, and that's something that's so arresting about his work. That's a really good way when you... And like, Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And like seeing the work live... It, and then watching the Doctor Who episode, that description really hits it where you feel like you're walking partly into seeing how Van Gogh sees the world and partly you're walking into uh, Van Gogh's like thought His and mind. feeling yeah. and like the way that he expresses himself. Like if you if you look at the painting of his bedroom, uh, that's. You know, there's all this like tomato red color and there's like this sickly kind of green that's coming in from the bedroom window and everything's a little bit off kilter. It's not realistic. It kind of feels like things are sliding around on the floor and it's, it's the place where he slept, but it's kind of scary. Uh, yeah, I think that's one that, that really illustrates that that divide that he walks for me. Yeah. So where I think this starts to answer that question of, you know, what does it take to be a great artist? What do you have to, what do you have to uh, 
feel, what do you have to go through? I don't necessarily think you have to be tortured and anguished every day of your life, but I think there has to be a commitment to to sharing your experience and sharing your perspective. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Um, yeah, Cause I think there's lots of different art being made for lots of different reasons. So you might be a digital artist working for Disney, helping make their movies, right? And you are in every way, shape or form as much of an artist as Van Gogh, but you're not really self-expressing in the same way. Right. So if you might be the most technically gifted artist and you might be working in a career in art and you might be making I don't know, the art on Hallmark cards, for example, <clears throat> you know, where you're making art for that specific purpose, it's you don't necessarily have to have that tortured center. Right. You don't have to have some sort of something inside you that's just not quite right. But to be a Van Gogh, to really innovate to have true creative inspiration. I think there has to be something in you that can't get out normally. Right. You know, like, and if you have that thing in you that can't get out normally, more often than not, it is some type of an emotional tumor. Right. You know, like, and I think of anyone that I know that has ever done anything really great creatively, like really, truly great has that in them. Now that doesn't mean they're all mentally ill that doesn't mean they're all going to chop their ear off and send it to their ex-girlfriend. Um, you know, some are living happy, stable lives, but they have that thing in them that gnaws at them that they can't get out just by, you know, normal means of communication. So I can get a creative release from sitting here and doing a podcast and sharing my ideas with you guys. Yeah. I don't have that thing in me gnawing at me, trying to get out. Like it, I'm quite content talking about, other awesome things and just giving my, uh, uh, you know, opinions on them that satisfies that itch for me. But I think for anyone that's breaking any kind of boundary, and I think this is true, whether you are um, innovating in architecture, music, movies, like it doesn't really matter what your, your canvas or your tools are. The people that are really breaking the boundaries have that in them and often that is depression, anxiety, um, anger, you know, these negative emotions. Often I think that tumor takes that form emotionally and then can be translated into great art. Right. And I think at its heart, it's about, it's about transformation. Art by its nature is transformative. And um, we've talked a lot about this Doctor Who episode and how um, many of the major themes of it are sight and perspective and point of view and how how the characters transform their point of view throughout the uh throughout the episode um i think that art is the practice of course of making something from nothing making something where there was nothing before or turning something that is there into something new and there's a an amazing quote um by the great actor Bill Nye, who plays a small role in this episode, um, as the uh, sort of tour guide of the Musée d'Orsay, who wears a very cool bow tie, and who is the bow ties are cool. expert on Van Gogh. And when uh, they've actually brought Vincent into the gallery, the doctor asks this man about, uh, 
you know, what do, what is your impressions in like a hundred words or less? And he says this amazing thing about how he took his pain, he took the, you know, the hardships that he he felt and he transformed them into ecstatic beauty and how he, and I think importantly, chose to portray the beauty and the ecstasy of life rather than the darkness and the dismay of it. And that that word, that that choice to create something more out of what gnaws at you rather than let it eat you up. Even if it does in the end consume you, you give this gift to the world. Right, right. Um, Amazing yeah. point. You know, I'm also thinking of the scene, you know, in that same vein, just to kind of piggyback a little, where Dr. Amy and Van Gogh are stargazing. Mm. And Van Gogh says, you know, we think it's night and we think it's blackness, but it's not. And he's describing the colors that he sees between stars. And the camera ang angle shifts and we actually see from Van Gogh's perspective. And he's literally seeing starry night. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you can see the swirls of wind and you can see the stars start to kind of like smolder and burn and become these bright yellow and white objects. It's a beautiful sequence. It is. And to see starry night every time you look at the night sky, part of your brain is a little broken from a normative perspective. What, I'm, what I mean by like normative, like, I mean, you're not mentally well if you're seeing all of that. Something is misfiring. Something is wrong. You need treatment and help maybe. But what Van Gogh does when he can't get treatment and help is he takes that and he turns it into a beautiful painting. And the tragedy is that nobody gave a shit during his life. Right. Nobody saw or recognized it because um, he was so different, not only as a person, like a part of being successful is selling your things, right? So if you're a really good artist and you want to get out there, you're going to have to not only get people to like your art, they're going to have to like you in order to buy it, right? Because you're going to have to sell it. You're going to have to go to galleries and say, put my art here. You're going to have to do these things. Van Gogh was not capable of doing any of that. He was not capable of talking and, and explaining his art. At least we get that sense, right? He was isolated from other people. And, um, and hence he was relatively doomed to be a commercial failure even though his paintings are valued currently as some of the most valuable paintings. I mean, they're really, they're priceless. When one goes up for sale, you've got to be like, you know, Oprah Winfrey, Donald Trump level rich to even get into the bidding room. Um, you might even need to be like Bill Gates rich. Yeah. I mean, some of his work has sold for hundreds like of almost a hundred million dollars. Yeah. So insane amounts. And it's, it's the tragedy of not only was he a broken soul, not only was he mentally ill, creating beautiful art, but never got to see what impact he was going to make is what I think makes the Van Gogh story, the Van Gogh biography, so tragic. And it also, in a weird way, go with me on this, links him to the doctor. Yeah. Who is always usually unseen and unheard in the great things that he does. He might save the universe and there might be like three people that know. Right. Everyone else just goes about in the universe. Yeah. They have a very similar uh, lack of appreciation for their genius by the overwhelming amount of people 
you know, because the doctor kind of just does his own thing in the background. It's just like, oh, the universe is about to be undone. Let me redo it. Cool, redid it. Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it goes back to what I was saying about how there was no better choice to uh, to put the doctor head to head with than uh, than this artist because their um, their stories are so entwined and their their loneliness is so specific and so um, so connected. And it's, to see the two of them, you know, because the doctor he doesn't he doesn't come in with a you know refined appreciation of art. He's like, I get that Van Gogh is famous and his paintings are worth a lot of money, and he sits there as the um, as the artist is painting and is like, why does this take forever? Yeah, he's not um, a patient like man. He, yeah, he doesn't really, he doesn't get into it in the same way that Amy, who's actually a fan of the art, is. Um, but then when they finally reach this connection to each other and they they see, they start to understand that they're one and the same, it's this transformation of each other. Um, and it's interesting. So I, I think your question... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad we took some time to answer the question about what it does take to to uh, create really transformative art. Um, but I think another question that gets to me when I when I see a Van Gogh painting is um, something that you know I, I think this is a question that comes up a lot in discussions of art, and it's does the artistic intent matter, or should art stand uh, on its on its own? Should art stand for itself? Great question. Um, and I think a Van Gogh, as I was saying at the beginning of this episode, absolutely stands by itself as beautiful, ecstatic, wonderful, marvelous, um, you know, something you've never seen before. The first time you see a Van Gogh painting, you're like, I've never thought of the world like that, but that's beautiful. And then you add the layer of the story and the... Um, the intention behind the art and you understand it so much more and it gives you so much of a, of a deeper, um, deeper comprehension of what's, what's happening there. And I've always been a proponent of looking for artistic intent because I think it, it deepens the meaning for me and I'm someone who's drawn to stories and that is how, uh, that's how visual art comes to tell a story for me. And so that's why I am so drawn to this episode of Doctor Who, because it had that same, you know, the showrunners of Doctor Who had the same experience in front of a Van Gogh painting as I did and said, this story is just as powerful as the artworks themselves. And so let's give it a chance to try and tell this story, add our own little sci-fi bits to it, and then give this great gift to the artists who changed all our lives. Yeah. I, I also think um, intent helps to separate the, the commercial from the, um, the commercial for the sake of commercial versus uh, stuff done to try and be actual art for lack of a better term. I'm struggling to find it. That's okay. You know, when something is purely made, simply for the intent of making money. Um, you know, it does cheapen and lessen the aesthetic merits of the thing. Ooh, art and commerce is a big topic. It is. Um, and though I, I don't begrudge any artist that makes money or that chooses to make money. Like if you choose to go and be a digital artist for Disney, um, because that's where the, the money is, 
you know, make that choice. You know, like I, I would make that choice if I were you. So there's nothing wrong with artists making money. So I don't want to give off that impression. Right. But there's a difference between, you know, an animator animating the the next biggest, you know, DreamWorks blockbuster and an animator making, you know, a small art house. There's a difference. And the difference comes at the start at the intention. The intention is different. The intention of like the DreamWorks animator is to make something that is profitable for DreamWorks first. And since that intention is first, it will guide other decisions that will then make it more about making money than it is about making great art. If your intention first is to make great art, um, that intention, I think, matters. And so I think understanding intent is, I would agree, very important. Um, There's also merits to, I just want to look at the thing whatever it is, watch the thing, listen to the thing, look at the thing and not think about it and just go with how it makes me feel. You know, that's okay too. There's nothing wrong with that. Like there's nothing wrong. Like I put on, you know, cheesy top 40 pop music because it makes me tap my toe. That's great. None of that's high art, you know, but there's nothing wrong with that either. And there's nothing wrong with walking into the museum d'Orsay and just wandering around and being like, Oh, so this is what Van Gogh's about. Wow, that's amazing. And walking away and being like, that's just that. that. That was amazing. I definitely like Van Gogh. And having just that relationship with it. So like, I don't want to sound like I'm moralizing, in other words. But I think the intent does matter uh, greatly when you're trying to, to, you know, peel back the surface and dig a little deeper. Ask, why was this made? You know, and I think that will tell us more about the artist, more about the art, more about them. And then sometimes that'll tell us more about ourselves, especially it's like, why do I really like this? Why was it made would be the next question. And if I really like it and it was made just for me to buy it, great. But if it was made to inspire me to look at the world a different way, that is also great. Nice. You got anything else? Um, no. Game. Should we play a game? Yeah. Um, what's the game this week? I forgot already. So, uh, every week here on the Midnight Myth Podcast, we like to play a little game to have fun with some of the characters and situations we've been talking about. Uh, and we would love for you to play along at home. So if you have a response to this, please hit us up on Facebook, uh, the Midnight Myth Podcast on Facebook, or hit us up on Twitter. Uh, you can tweet us at the Midnight Myth on Twitter, and then you can also drop us a line on the website at www.midnightmyth.com. So the game this week, uh, we were you know, talking about art and talking about artists and intent, and we were interested in, um, you know, say you had to commission a portrait of yourself. What painter would you choose to do this portrait, and why? And living or dead, right? Doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. So I'm going to go, uh, though not a painter that oh, I yeah. know of. Artist of any yeah. kind. Yeah. I'm going to go with MC Escher. Nice. Um, one, because MC Escher makes my favorite art and ironically he makes my favorite art because I just look at it and be like, that's just so cool. Like I have a very superficial relationship with a lot of it. Uh, though I like that he plays with mathematical concepts. Yeah. I like that there's a little edge of surrealism and science meeting somewhere and I like that it is designed to trick our, like he's into illusions yeah. to, to trick us to say like, 
oh, look at this thing. This is an infinite thing. Yeah. If you're not familiar with MC Usher, you know him from the crazy stairs. Yes. Uh, if you've seen the movie Labyrinth, in the end of the movie Labyrinth, it's very much, they're like walking through an MC Escher they painting. They totally are, yeah. Yeah, so where like things twist and turn and like he has this one great uh, draw, and they're all, I think, sketches and drawings where it's a bunch of lizards on stairs that loop that never end. Oh, yeah. You know, so I have an MC Escher print in my house. He's my favorite, so I'd pick him. And I'd want him to like, do my portrait, but get fucking weird with it, man. Nice. You know, like do something like do something crazy. Yeah. Like it would be your portrait, but you would also be like made out of, um, like bacon that was like sizzling on a never ending, um, Ch- chess board, chess board that could cook bacon. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. That would be mine and yours. I chose, so I was torn between a couple of my favorite artists, but I ended up choosing a surrealist as well. Uh, and I'm going with a painter named Remedios Varro. Um, you know so much more about art than me. <laughs> um, she's I'm, not a very well-known artist, um, but I would encourage everybody to look her up. Last name is Varro, V-A-R-O. Um, she is amazing and her work is sort of in like the Dali school, but I think it's a, I think she has a very, uh, refined style and it looks very much, it looks very modern, I think. Um, but she, a lot of her work is, um, is almost comic and it's sort of surrealist, um, almost childlike visions of what, what the world could be. So you've got like, Say you're in a forest and there's like a guy and the rays of sun are coming in through the trees and the guy is playing the rays of sun like a like a violin because they come oh, down very like strings. Cool. It's beautiful yeah. things like that. Or it's like um, she's got one of these vampires that are uh, like fruit vampires. They're, they're, they just like live off the color red. So they're just like drinking um, apples and strawberries through a straw. It's adorable. And like creepy and spooky and beautiful. Yeah, that sounds um, great. I, I I think I would like her yeah, a lot. And all yeah. of her work, like everybody just seems like moon goddesses and witches and fabulous, you know, creepy shadow people. Um, and I totally think that I would be, I would fit in very well with one of those. Now, would you have her do just a straight portrait or would you want her to do it in her style? She would do it in her style. So I think Same it here. would be like me in a tower uh, with like moonbeams emanating from my face and like my my toes and fingers are growing and they're crystals. Something oh, like very that. cool. Something yeah, cool like that. Yeah, very cool. <clears throat> you know, my second choice is I was just going to go Michelangelo because we were just in the Sistine Chapel a few days ago. And let me tell you, folks, that is sharp. <laughs> so I was either going to go Escher and for really weird. And he's not a painter. No, but my goodness. Yeah. Or I was going to go Michelangelo very traditional classical. Yeah. And I went with Escher. I would never choose Michelangelo because he paints all of his women looking like men. My second choice was going to be Mark Chagall. Nice. I love him. I know him too. All right, guys. Well, it's been fun. We're glad to be back. We'll be on a good regular weekly rhythm here on in. Um, if you like the show, please give us a review on iTunes. Um, just by, uh, going into your podcast app and tapping us and hitting a review really helps the show get out there. And uh, until next time, be kind. Bow ties are cool.